You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hey, Kara, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hey, Dylan. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I am looking forward to this conversation. I think, like I said before we hit record, this is a conversation we haven't really had on the podcast yet about kind of intuitive eating and yoga and how those can intersect. So I'm very excited to to even just learn from you about all that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into there's there's so many parallels between intuitive eating and yoga. So yes, uh, I'm sure. Well, could you take a minute and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, really anything you want to share? Sure. Um, so I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. I've been a dietitian for 10 years now, which I don't know if that will ever like sound normal coming out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's been 10 years. Yes. Um, I'm based in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm the owner of Kara Leiden Nutrition, which is a private practice that specializes in eating disorders, disordered eating, intuitive eating, and health at every size. And I'm also the owner of the Foodie Dietitian blog, which is a food and lifestyle blog that features um, fun, seasonal, nourishing recipes and intuitive eating and non-diet inspiration. Um, I'm also a yoga teacher. I have a yoga background and I'm the author of the ebook, Nourish Your Namaste, How Nutrition and Yoga Can Support Digestion, Immunity, Energy, and Relaxation. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was looking over your blog earlier and even I was thinking like, how does she do all this? Like she has this <laughs> blog and she, you know, has her nutrition coaching business and all the things. Um, so very impressive. And your recipes look so good. <laughs> I was, oh, I think you. there was one you posted with like instant or not instant pot, um, air fryer, baked potatoes. Yep. We just got an air fryer and I was like, I need to try nice. this. Nice. Oh. Yeah. I, um, I had mixed feelings about the air fryer just because of like all the diet culture marketing and messaging that went along with it. But then I was just like, I really like crispy food. So yeah. Same. Like, diet culture shouldn't get to claim air fryers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I know. I've seen a lot of dietitians recently doing, even around like, you know, more nutrient dense foods, like fruits and vegetables, talking about like reclaiming them from diet culture because they're great. And obviously diet culture puts a spin on like, you have to eat this to be, you know, the optimum health or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, yeah. So it's a fun mix. I, yeah. you know, I um, love the creative side of the work, like the blogging and recipe development. And then I love the client facing work too. And yeah, yeah. Lucky to have, you know, a team that helps too. Yes. So. Oh yeah. I know. I feel like all of us, it's like, could not do this alone. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I, I don't think I would sleep and sleeping's yeah. my favorite. So yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Same. <laughs> Same. Um, well, yeah. So, so intuitive eating and yoga. So first I would love to hear even like what, 
got you in, like your sparked your interest in yoga? Kind of, is that something that you've been interested in for a while or even like what came first, intuitive eating or yoga for you? Yeah. Yoga definitely came first. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I didn't really discover intuitive eating until probably like just a few years ago, maybe like within the last four, three, four or five years. Um, probably four or five. Um, yeah. So I, I think I did my first yoga class when I was like in high school. I think I was like 16 years old, maybe when I started getting into it. Um, I think we had a yoga teacher come in and teach a yoga class to our gym class in high school. And I think that was my first introduction. And then, um, a friend of mine, um, from high school and I signed up for like a yoga course at a local studio. And we went, I think once a week and, I'm sure there were like a number of factors that caused us to go to the yoga studio. Like, you know, I wonder if part of it was because it seemed like cool and trendy, but then I also am someone that have always struggled with anxiety for as long as I can remember. Um, like probably came out of the womb, like an anxious baby. (laughs) Um, I think it's just part of my wiring. So I'm sure there was also like a deeper knowing part of me that could really feel the benefits of the yoga practice for helping me to ground and sort of calm my anxiety. So yeah, so that was my first introduction and then um, kind of like practiced on and off over the years. Mm -hmm. And then I really um, found myself back into it regularly in college because um, when I moved to Boston for college, I went to Boston University. Um, I didn't know anyone in Boston. I, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I didn't have any friends or family here. And I ended up having my first panic attack, um, freshman year, first semester, and, and then had like a series of panic attacks after that. And it was pretty debilitating to the point where like, I almost transferred back to Buffalo, New York. Um, and it was around that time when, um, I started getting back into a regular yoga practice, um, and also worked with like a homeopath at the time who, Um, did give me nutrition advice, which actually was helpful nutrition advice. She wasn't like the type of alternative practitioner that was like, you should cut out all the things. She was like, I don't think you have enough fat in your diet. And like, looking back, I'm like, spot on. (laughs) That was a really good recommendation. So um, yeah, so there are a number of things that helped me through that time in terms of like healing, but yoga was definitely a big one. And then um, what sparked me to go into my yoga teacher training was I was kind of at this career crossroads. I had just been laid off from a corporate job, nutrition job that I'd worked at for um, a little bit over two years and um, was laid off and found myself being like, okay, what's next? Um, I have all these different interests and passions in the field and I don't know, like, can I combine them all into one career. And that was around the time I decided to start my own business. And I was working with a life coach at the time who's also a dietitian. And I remember her saying, um, stop asking yourself what you want to do and ask yourself who you want to be. And I think like later that day I was in a yoga class and I was in Shavasana and I was like, I want to be a yoga teacher. (laughs) And I just had this like sense, like this, like full body sort of like somatic embodied sense of like, yes, like this is what I want, even if it doesn't make sense, even if, you know, I don't know how this is going to work with my nutrition degree. Like I didn't care about the, you know, sort of logistics of it. It just felt like it was, it was right. And it was kind of like a gut intuition. So um, yeah, so that's kind of what, what brought me into, into the yoga world in a professional sense. Yeah, that's awesome. And you said a few things that really sparked my attention. One was about 
you, you only found out about intuitive eating like three or four years ago, same, which is so interesting because I feel like as dietitians, you would think we learned about it in school, but we don't really learn about it in school. Maybe things, I mean, hoping things in the future change, but yeah, that's just, I feel like always an interesting thing to learn that most of us dietitians are almost more so, I guess, self-taught and, and learn from people, learn from mentors and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I'm also curious with, with yoga and you mentioned the anxiety, do you find that, and maybe even more specifically with like clients you work with, or maybe even in your own experience that yoga and maybe even like at first is hard for people with anxiety or maybe people who are like disconnected from their body because it's bringing so much like connection to your body. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that can be really challenging for folks. Um, and I think that's where, you know, finding, um, like a trauma informed instructor or teacher can be really beneficial. Um, you know, just have that sort of awareness in terms of like how to bring someone into a yoga practice. Um, I think consent is so big when it comes to that, you know, using, um, language that sort of invites people into the practice and gives them permission to, to modify or adjust or to come out as needed, um, is really important. Um, yeah. So I think that that absolutely can happen. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's different entry points with yoga too. Like I think when we, in our culture and Western culture, when we think about yoga, we think about the physical practice, right? Like if you were to say the word yoga and then like, think about what, you know, vision comes to mind, it's probably like a downward facing dog or a handstand or like Lululemon pants. Like we have a very um, narrow view of what yoga is in our culture, but um, there's actually eight different parts of yoga. When you look at like the ancient yogic texts, the yoga sutra, um, it's an eight limbed path and the physical practice of yoga, which we call asana in Sanskrit is just one of those eight limbs. It's really like a tiny piece of the overall yoga puzzle. Some of the other limbs are things like breath work, meditation, um, turning inward or withdrawing of the senses, concentration, So when we take that more like broad, holistic view of yoga, I really believe that yoga is for everybody Yeah, because no matter what your shape or size is, no matter what your ability level is, I think it's safe to say we all have access to our breath. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if you can inhale, if you can exhale and you're focusing on your breath, that is yoga. Like you are practicing yoga when you do some focused breath work. Um, And again, that might not be accessible to everyone based on, you know, their trauma history. Um, But I think there are different entry points. Like if the breath isn't accessible to you because it, you know, stirs up stuff, like maybe it's focusing on a candle flame, you know, and, and concentrating on that. Like that is a yoga practice. That is the practice of concentration or even meditation. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause yeah, I feel like when I think of yoga and like you said, it, it sounds like our Western culture, we just think like physical, like, and even I think people can take it to like, okay, how strong can I get? How good at this pose can I get? Like, which, you know, is, I guess, part of it, you, your body may strengthen throughout it, but it's not from what you're describing, like it, that's not as much the point. It's like, what can you learn about yourself? How can you connect with your body, 
versus like, yeah, all of a sudden now you can do all these like crazy posts mm-hmm. and all that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's our culture. That's like fitness culture, wellness culture, infiltrating yoga, right? Um, that's like the ego getting involved and, you know, wanting to, yeah, be perfect or perfect a certain thing. And I was like that a little bit when I first became a yoga teacher, like was seeing all these yoga teachers on Instagram doing crazy poses. And I was like, I want to get to the point where I can do all of that. Um, and it actually took me getting an injury to like take a pause from the practice and get really clear about my intentions um, and why I was practicing. And, and my, as a result, my practice has changed a lot over the years in terms of what it looks like. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good reminder for folks that like, even with a mindfulness based practice, you could still apply like black and white or perfectionist yeah. guy culture, like thinking yeah. to the practice. Oh, for sure. Especially in a culture like ours that puts so much emphasis on diets, fitness, body size, and it's like yoga and, and I mean, exercise in general should not be about that, but it sounds like yoga. It's like at its core, that's like not what its purpose is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so then kind of digging into how yoga then connects with intuitive eating. I mean, a lot of what you've already said now kind of answers that question, but, but even to people listening, like how, like maybe even first, and we've talked about intuitive eating a lot on the podcast, but even like how those are similar um, and how they can kind of even like complement each other in doing just like inner work and your relationship with your body, your relationship with food, kind of all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think to start, we can just start with like what you said before, like the purpose of yoga and what that is and how that relates to intuitive eating. Um, so I'm going to get a little nerdy for a minute and talk like definitions and history. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Um, So the word yoga is derived from, um, the word, the Sanskrit word huge and Sanskrit is the ancient language of India and huge is translated as the joining or the union of movement and breath. Or another translation is um, a union of the mind and body. I think that union of mind and body is really the essence of intuitive eating. Because I always talk with clients about how when it comes to intuitive eating, you're really bridging your body knowledge and your brain knowledge to make decisions around food. Because if we only relied on the mind or our brain knowledge we would get caught up in all of our thoughts and beliefs and feelings about food, which living in this society, that's all going to be influenced by diet culture. And so we're often making choices from the fear-based mind or the perfectionistic mind, or we can call that black and white thinking. And then on the other hand, if we only relied on the body to make decisions, we might be steered wrong from time to time. You know, especially if you're in the early stages of eating disorder recovery, your body cues, your hunger fullness cues aren't going to be that reliable. Even if you're not recovering from a eating disorder, you know, if you um, have a cold or the flu, guess what? Your appetite probably isn't going to be what it normally is. Um, With anxiety, I'm seeing this a lot with clients right now, just, you know, with the, the pandemic that we're in and just really heightened levels of anxiety, which are affecting hunger cues. And so, even if your appetite is suppressed or your hunger cues aren't um, that strong, intellectually, we still know we have to eat. We still have to nourish our bodies. 
And so that's where eating as an act of self-care um, is really important versus waiting for physical hunger to come. So we rely on that brain knowledge piece too. Mm. I love that. I love what you said about just the connection between like our brain and our body and how we can't necessarily rely on just one or the other. They work like they should work in harmony, which is cool. Um, and it sounds like, I feel like too, even thinking probably more so with brain knowledge, I feel like with clients, it's a lot of like unlearning at first of like, what are all these beliefs that you have around food, your body, like what's good with like all this black and white thinking that we can bring a little more like nuance or gray area to, mm -hmm. and then like learning and like creating these new beliefs for yourself. Um, and then how the body plays into that too. I love what you said, because I feel like a lot of clients that I see too, especially in those early stages of eating disorder recovery, I see a lot of times with clients, they have this like desire to like learn the concepts of intuitive eating, but then it's hard because they're like, I don't have hunger and fullness. So, you know, learning those core things first, which comes from, you know, getting your body back to a place where it is exhibiting hunger and fullness cues. Um, so yeah, that connection, I feel like, yeah, you described that perfectly of like how yoga can, so I don't, I'm like all these things in my head. I'm like, wow, this is so good. Um, I've just never thought about it that way before. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And when you were talking about like all the unlearning that has to happen, you know, in the beginning stages of intuitive eating, um, I'm thinking of another definition of yoga, um, which comes from, um, the yoga sutra of Pantajali, which is, um, an ancient yoga text considered to be like the foundation of yoga philosophy. And that definition says, um, yoga is to still the patterning of the consciousness, which translated is like yoga is to still the turnings of the mind or yoga is to still our thoughts. And the intention behind that is like when our thoughts are stilled, we can achieve pure awareness and consciousness. And so I think about all of our clients who come to see us and, you know, I hear so from so many clients, like, you know, that they spend, you know, 60% of their thoughts over 60% of their thoughts are related to food and weight and body on a daily basis. And one of their primary complaints is that they can't stop thinking about food, you know, such high levels of food preoccupation. And, you know, of course, part of the solution is physiological, right? Because if you're thinking about food that much, you're probably not eating enough. And so we need to, you know, up, up the intake. Um, but I also spend a lot of time talking to clients about thoughts and how we relate to our thoughts. Um, and, you know, I think oftentimes um, it can be really easy to just accept, you know, see your thought and take it at face value and let it, you know, run you on this narrative or this spiral, but if we can create that spaciousness, stillness or stilling the thoughts, we can recognize that like our thoughts are not truth. Um, our thoughts are not facts, you know, just because you think it doesn't make it true. Um, you are not your thoughts. So um, I spend a lot of time with clients talking about like our relationship to our thoughts, how we can relate to our thoughts from a in a different way. Um, and what we're ultimately working towards is, you know, how do we see the thought, name it, um, which often looks like, oh, that's a diet culture thought or, oh, that's an eating disorder thought. And then taking action from a place of values as opposed to taking action from that fear-based thought. 
Um, and I see values as being that sort of like spaciousness or that pure awareness. So I think yoga from that definition, um, you know, relates a lot to how it can help us to have a different relationship with our thoughts mm -hmm. um, and how much that influences intuitive eating where, you know, we're not over identifying with the thought around food, you know, let's say a fear-based thought around food um, and just working on creating a lot more spaciousness in the mind so that when we do make food decisions, they're coming from a place that's more grounded and spacious versus, you know, sort of like noisy and chaotic. Yeah, that's so good. Cause I see it's easy for clients and I mean, people in general, like it's easy for us to have thoughts and just take them as facts. And I feel like that can be so powerful for clients when we kind of give them, it's almost like give them this permission that they don't even need us to give them permission, but giving them this permission that like, you can challenge your thoughts. Like that thought may not be true. And even like getting curious, like you were saying of like, is this a diet culture thought? Is this my eating disorder? Is this a belief I was taught in my home growing up that I just thought was true because my mom and my grandma and all these people always talked about it. Mm -hmm. And I find that can be so freeing. I mean, hard, but then also so freeing for clients when they kind of have that space of like, oh, so maybe this isn't true. Like then what is actually true for me? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned values. I feel like values work is so important in, in really all that we do because a lot of the conversation I often have with clients, eating disorder, or just, you know, walking away from diets and disordered eating is how does your eating disorder or the diet you're on not align with your values? And how can we make sure that, you know, the choices you're making, your beliefs, your actions, your thoughts push you closer and closer to your values. Um, and it sounds like even the practice of yoga can bring you that stillness to even find out like what your values are. So it's like this whole interconnected web. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, um, eight limb paths, um, one of the eight limbs on the eight limb path of yoga is, um, there's the niyamas and yamas, which are like the attitudes you have towards the outside world and the attitudes you have towards yourself. And one of the niyamas is called, um, svidyaya, which is like translates to self-study. Um, and you know, it's, it's really what you just described where like, you're getting really curious about your actions and your intentions and, in intuitive eating, we talk a lot about like compassionate curiosity, you know, can you, can you get curious around, you know, why you chose the salad for lunch? Was it because, you know, you wanted something cold and crunchy and refreshing, or is it because you had a bagel for breakfast and you feel like you should, or because it's lower calories, right? Like same food choice, completely different intentions. And so I think that that self-study aspect or that compassionate curiosity, um, can go a long way to, um, you know, to really, um, be honest with ourselves about our intentions behind, yeah. different, behind different choices. Yeah. And even with that too, even like the example you gave about, you know, your decision, like your, your root decision for why you chose a salad. Some of that I see with people too, is almost like it can become habitual of like this belief that's like, so ingrained in your mind that you don't even it's almost like you don't even have a second thought. It's like, oh, if I eat a bagel for breakfast, I have to have a salad. Like there's no mm -hmm. questions asked. So letting clients, like those are sometimes my favorite questions to ask clients when they're like, I've never thought about that. <laughs> like why, why do I always have a salad when I eat a bagel? Or why do I only eat half of the bagel instead of the whole bagel? Like 
just helping them get curious with the, their food choices, their exercise choices, like all of these different things, because then I think they find what they're truly passionate about, what they truly enjoy, what they truly value. Like, okay, maybe I do enjoy salads, but now I also can create space to make it like a more filling salad and put things on it that I enjoy instead of just lettuce and, you know, some, some lemon juice or something. Yeah. I love what you just said around like, you know, discovering kind of coming back to yourself and like your, what you're passionate about and you know, what's important to you. Cause like, um, there's another quote about like yoga being sort of like, um, the journey of the self through itself to the self. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you see this with your clients all the time where you're, you're working with them on food and intuitive eating, but then through all of that healing work and through self-discovery and, um, and being more in touch with themselves, you do see these transformations where it's like, not only are they eating intuitively, but they're starting to live intuitively too. Right. So they're like kind of coming home to themselves in a way. Yes. I feel like that's like the ultimate goal is like, yes, you begin to eat intuitively, but your whole, just the way that you live your life is so connected with yourself um, versus, you know, I mean, again, I think in Western culture, we're so like busy, 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 keep up the pace, like do all this, have all the, like it applies to so much more than just food in our body. Um, So yeah, I feel like helping clients, it's almost like slow down, like take a deep breath, connect better with yourself, like a breath of fresh air. I feel like it can be for clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally agree. And those are times too. I see people like I have sometimes clients come to me and they're like, I thought we were just going to like talk about food all the time. Like, are you a counselor too? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I'm a counselor for nutrition. So nutrition, like what we eat impacts a lot of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think people are used to just like stereotypical, like here's what your plate should look like. And go eat that like but it's so much more complex than that yeah absolutely and yeah I'm laughing over here because I get the same thing from clients all the time like are you you a therapist actually I was talking to a therapist earlier this week um for a mutual client and she was like do you have a therapy background like you kind of sound like a therapist like well I my approach is very therapeutic yeah yes (laughs) not a not a traditional dietitian Yes. Yeah. I think so many people are used to that. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the dietitian. So she's going to tell me exactly what to eat, mm-hmm. what not to eat. Um, yeah. Of course, the work is um, so far from that. and so much yeah. more nuanced. Oh my gosh. Yes. So for people listening, if they like, I'm even thinking of myself like back, like even pre, I guess I was a dietitian, but I was still kind of on my own journey with, with food and connecting with my body. And I remember my therapist was like, I think you should try yoga. And I remember being like, eh, I, I cycle, that's my yoga. <laughs> and now looking back, I'm like, no, like I see, like, she wasn't even specifically saying like, I think you need to go to a yoga class. It was like, you need to learn to connect with your body more. Um, and so all of that being said, if there's people listening who like, you know, maybe are kind of hesitant about yoga, the practice as a whole. And I know, like you mentioned, it's so much more than just the physical aspect, like what would be maybe something you would say to them or how they could even like, maybe even start to like dip their toes into this, like working to connect with their body. I'm sure it's probably similar conversations you have with clients who, who may have some hesitations around like connecting with their body or 
or even if they're used to more like fast paced physical activity and now we're moving towards like breath and mindfulness. Um, so yeah, what would be like maybe one or two things you would say to them or want them to hear? Yeah. Um, well, you know, first of all, I can totally appreciate that hesitation. Um, I think there are, um, you know, a couple of things that come to mind. One is um, if they're working with a provider, whether that be a therapist or a dietitian who feels comfortable doing like some somatic or embodied um, exercises, um, that could be, you know, an entry point to practicing that in a space that hopefully feels safe and one where, um, you know, the provider is, you know, offering consent. And um, I do that work with clients where, um, what we're really doing is building interoceptive awareness. Um, and that's the, you know, sort of um, recognition of different um, cues in the body. So like when you have the urge to go pee or feeling a sensation of hunger in your stomach or, um, or when you get butterflies in your stomach because you're anxious, right? Like feeling emotions in your body is a part of interoceptive awareness. So I often am trying to help clients to build that in, um, in sessions. So for example, if a client is like, oh, I'm feeling, feeling a lot of shame today. Um, I might say, um, you know, are you, are you able to notice where that shame is in your body or what is, what does, what does shame feel like in your body? Um, you know, and you could really do that with any emotion. Um, and that's, you know, again, if, if it feels comfortable, if they feel comfortable going there, um, you know, always, always offering, you know, the, an option and not, you know, asking clients if they feel comfortable doing that. But I think that can be, you know, one sort of entry point where you just start to do that work, um, with a provider. Um, and then other things are, um, there's so many, you know, great like meditation apps that are, um, accessible and free, um, and, you know, you could always start there if you wanted to kind of start on your own, um, and you didn't want to go into like a full yoga class or practice, um, you could start with, you know, some guided meditations, um, through different apps, like insight timer comes to mind. Um, that's, that's free. Um, headspace is like, I think you can get like an introduction for free, but then there's a cost mm -hmm. of that. Um, although I know they were doing some discounts for, essential workers and healthcare workers during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, I would probably start there. And then the one other thing that came to mind is, you know, you can practice connecting with your body outside of yoga too. Like if you're just like, you know what, yoga is not for me. Cool. Do you like to dance? Yeah. Because dance is such an awesome embodied practice. Mm. Um, and it's something I used to love doing growing up. And I recently like got back into as an adult, um, and using that as like an embodied practice um, to connect with your body, to drop down out of your head and get into your body. Like I think dance can be really therapeutic too. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like dance can't like, I see, I've seen that on Instagram a lot too. People like taking dance breaks and just like letting themselves move and like have fun and laugh and all of that. I think that can be so liberating for people too. Totally. Yeah. Mm. I love it. Um, well, the way I love to wrap up interviews is by asking our guests their favorite food memory. Um, because I think with, you know, diets and all of that, they try and take kind of the fun out of food. And so I love to hear how people, even what we were talking about at the beginning of like, you know, reclaiming things from 
diet culture too. But yeah, so I would love to hear what a favorite food memory of yours is. Mm, I love that question. Um, I, I feel like I have so many (laughs) how to choose. It's funny. The one that came to mind first was, um, related to ice cream, which Mm. I'm laughing at because I'm currently expecting and I am like just all about ice cream lately. (laughs) My go-to, um, sweet craving. Um, so my favorite, my food memory that's coming to mind is, um, when I was younger, um, my mother was working part-time evenings. And so like a few nights in the week, it would just be my dad, my sister and I, and like my dad would always do kind of just like fun things with us. And, um, and one of the things we used to do is we would go to this, um, like old school, like ice cream soda shop, um, that was in our neighborhood. And unfortunately it closed a while back, but, um, it kind of had this like 1950s, like soda shop vibe. And they made the best ice cream sundaes and we would go and I like had my go-to order. It was like the black and white and it was like vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, hot fudge and marshmallow sauce and like cream nuts, whole nine yards. Um, and it was the best. And like, you know, it was just like the special thing we did with our dad. And yeah, um, yeah, that was, that's like a really a fun memory that I have. Uh. Yes. I feel like any memory with ice cream. Now I'm like thinking, like, I feel like ice cream as a child too. There's just something special about it. I remember that going with my parents and you'd get all these toppings. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Gosh. And now it's like 1030 here. And I'm like, ice cream would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love uh, it. Yes. Um, well, okay, you have no food rolls, right? Yes, exactly. So I can have ice cream right now if I want to. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and your week to, to come on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. So I know our listeners are going to learn a lot as well. Awesome. Well, it was great to connect and yeah, thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.